0: Uh, Just want to thank you for joining us online and doing church right where you are. And I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us for the first or the second time. Really thank you for taking time to do so this morning. And I hope that you will find this service meaningful and, uh, yeah, just finding the presence of God uh, meaningful and encouraging for you. This morning, we continue our series on prayer, and my topic is how to pray, taken from one of the most important requests that the disciples asked of Jesus: "Teach us to pray." And I want to start by reading for you three quotes from three great leaders. And when they are put together, they flow very well. They work very well together. Uh, D. R. Moody said, "I'd rather be able to pray that uh, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher." Jesus Christ never taught. His disciples, how to preach, but only how to pray. And the disciples saw a link between power and prayer. He that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. I firmly believe in the power of prayer. My wife prayed for the best husband, and God answered her prayer. She said that she wrote a list so long, so exhaustive, with so many specifics, and specifically amazing character traits, she thought that it would be impossible for anyone to fulfill until I walked into her life, and then she accepted that it was really impossible. And so before she could change her mind and think that there is really someone out there who can tick all the boxes, I proposed to her and I married her. And in our marriage, she quickly realized two things. Number one is that she did not get everything she asked for. And number two, she got more than what she bargained for. You see, in loving a really far-from-perfect husband, she got to understand the profound love of God. In trying to support a father who keeps stumbling, she became the greatest mom to the beautiful children that God has given to us. So instead of getting a husband that ticked all the boxes the way she wanted, she got more out of herself, her life, and her family. My point is this. The power of prayer is not in God answering you by giving you everything you requested. It is in God doing for you more than what you can ask for. Prayer is not to trap God into a small request box. Prayer is to let Him be the infinite, immeasurable immeasurable God with whom nothing is impossible to do for us above, beyond, and greater than what we can ask or imagine. So how do we tap into this power of prayer? Today, with the word ASK, as an acronym, I want to share with you three things we can do. Number one is to ask boldly. Number two is to surrender completely. And number three is to trust God wholeheartedly. And I hope at this point, God is really stirring your heart to want to listen in to Him, to want to learn how to pray. So let's commit the rest of the time to the Lord in prayer. So Father God, This morning, as families and people everywhere tune in to listen to your Word, I thank you that your presence is with them wherever they are. Let your presence manifest in a powerful and a personal way. I speak your promise and your power and your presence into every place, every situation, every person, and I take charge. Of the spiritual atmosphere. Let sicknesses be healed, burdens be lifted, those who are down be encouraged, and those who are far away from you be drawn towards you. God, we know there is power in prayer. Prayer changes lives, prayer changes situations, prayer changes the world. So this morning, we ask God that you will teach us how to pray so that we can actualize the power of prayer. And in Jesus' name, we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. So what should be our prayer posture or how do we pray? First, when we pray, we ask boldly because we have a good heavenly Father who loves us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, The first statement he told them to say was our Father. It serves to remind them that before they come before God and ask what they want from God, it is very important to know who God is to them, that God is a loving Heavenly Father. The picture that God is Father isn't foreign, isn't new to the Israelites. But the legalistic burdens that the Pharisees put on their shoulders make the picture of God the Father seem so foreign, fuzzy, distant, and almost lost. But Jesus wanted to bring them back to the picture of the Father. In the Old Testament, God is represented as a father deliverer who brought his children out of slavery in Egypt, a father promise keeper who brought his children into the promised land a father to the poor, fatherless and widows, and a father who carries his own children, which paints a picture that God is near. I think children's prayers sometimes sound humorous and even irreverently bold. But it gives you a sense of warmth because you can feel that they think God or they believe God is real and God is near. So let me read some of those prayers to you. Dear God, I need a raise in my allowance. Could you send uh, Angel Gabriel to tell my father? Dear God, I love Christmas and Easter. Could you please put another holiday in the middle? There's nothing good in there now. Dear God, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat and I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. Dear God, please make my parents understand that If I don't eat vegetables, I do better in school. Lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from all emails. May all the adults say, amen. Uh, this, This last one is pretty profound. It says, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash into our baskets. A little girl was praying the alphabets in order to God. And when her mother heard that, She asked her daughter, why are you doing that? And her daughter explained to the mom, you see mom, my Sunday school teacher told me that before I come to God in prayer, God already knows all my needs. All I have to do is to just tell Him everything that's in my heart. He will understand what I'm saying and He will provide everything I need. So when I came to God this morning in prayer, I really don't know how to put my prayer together. So I decided to just give him the alphabets and trust him to piece all the letters together into my prayer and then meet my needs. And that is so profound. I think prayer is not just about articulation. Prayer is about coming to a God who loves us, just coming to Him boldly and let Him provide for us the way a good father would. At this point... I want to talk about the important role that parents play in raising up their children to know God, a God who loves them. Our children's perception of God and correspondingly their prayer life is powerfully and deeply shaped by their relationship with their parents. So, the Kids Church have actually produced a family devotional toolbox. To help parents to engage with their children in meaningful conversation and to impress upon them what a good God we have. So, this morning, I'm gonna ask Nicolette, our kids' church head, to come and introduce to us the family devotional toolbox. So, children, wherever you are, let's give Nicolette a big, big hand. Good,
1: good morning. Good morning, family, and good morning, kids. I said, good morning, kids. (laughs) I hope you are giving me a big smile and a big, big wave because we miss you so much, but we're right here, okay? Um, And I hope that you are also listening attentively. All right, parents, we are so excited to launch our devotional toolbox. How timely is it that God has planned for this to be out where we are all doing our services online and church from home, wherever you are? So this will be sent to you electronically just after the service but for now we want to quickly explain what this toolbox is and how to use it. Each month we will have a different anchor verse which we have pulled different lessons and weekly discussions from thanks to our awesome Pastor Singh yep, over here uh, and that helps us to dig deep together in God's Word. And the first section is called got it. So everybody has to say this with me. Adults and kids, we have to go, got it. Ready? One, two, three. That was a little bit soft. Let's do it one more time. One, two, three. Got it. Awesome. Okay. And this is where um, you can either read it to your child or kids. If you are a little bit older, maybe you can read it to your mum and dad. Does that sound good? Now, the second section is called, let's Chat. We go into this as a conversation starter. So feel free to adapt this for older or younger kids. They're just meant to act as a prompt to guide your conversations into bringing Jesus into your family conversations. And to land your devotion, we have a teaching moment, and this is where parents will share with their kids. And then we end with a prayer under God bless. Uh, we really believe that it's crucial for parents to speak words of life and blessings over your children. And at the back, we also have some additional activities. And remember, this is just a tool for us to start bringing more of Jesus into our family time. So you can do this any time in the morning, during breakfast, after dinner, after school, before bed—whatever time suits you. And kids, this is your job. Okay? Are you listening? Good, if you haven't done your devotional time with your parents yet, your job is to remind them. Okay, what's your job? To remind them, that's right. I wanna see if you are better at remembering than your mum and dad. Okay, and so in this time where we're really wanting to grow in depth, this is where our family units are really going to dig deep into God's Word and we just know that God has some awesome things in store. So I really hope that this will bless your families. Thank you.
0: All right, thank you, Nicolette. Really appreciate all the work that Kids Church is doing for our children and partnering our parents. When we ask boldly more than just requests, it is about a relationship. We hope that this toolbox will help both our children and our parents to know our Heavenly Father who loves them and therefore we can go to Him without any inhibition to present our burdens, our questions, and our needs to Him knowing that He will provide for us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 to 11, "'Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone?' or or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Here, Jesus didn't say, if you ask for bread, God will give you bread, or if you ask for fish, God will give you fish. Jesus was emphasizing that when God gives you something it will always be good. His providence may be a little bit different from what you ask for or expect, but when He gives it to you, it will always be good. So for example, if you ask God for an iPhone, He may give you an Android because Android is value for money. And you can use the savings to buy an iPad. So I hope I make both sides happy here. Now, if you ask God for a house in the north of Perth, He may bring you to the south because all the good Asian food are here, except Vietnamese. They tell me it's a meringue Now, if you ask God to make you a pilot, He may make you a pastor because He knows which profession will give you the greatest fulfillment. If you ask God to be a missionary, God may make you a millionaire because we've all the funds you can give to support the many missionaries, you are going to have a greater impact than you becoming a missionary by yourself. But if God asks you to be a missionary, please be a missionary. Now, if you ask God for a best husband, that one, you already know the answer, right? Sometimes people don't pray because they have been disappointed before because they didn't get exactly what they had asked for. So they ask, what is this prayer all about? I didn't get what I asked for. But when you can trust that your good heavenly Father, for Him to always give you what's best for you, in whatever shape or form, then you will continue to ask boldly, because it is no longer about expectation. It is about a relationship. You see, when we ask boldly, we initiate a heart-to-heart conversation with God, with the security that He loves us, and then we can grow in our own maturity, really understanding what we truly need and how a good God will provide for us. And this leads me to the second thing we do in prayer, and that is to surrender completely. Because our, our Heavenly Father... Your heavenly Father wants to give you the ultimate victory. In Luke chapter 22, verse 41 to 42, it says that, And he, Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, we read He, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name. Jesus surrendered his control, surrendered his authority and ability to walk away from the brutal death. We all know that Jesus came. Save the lost, and to do that, he had to die on the cross. He would not be able to fulfill that mission if he didn't pray that prayer of surrender, and because of that. Because He surrendered to the will of the Father and died on the cross and and was resurrected, Jesus Christ won the ultimate victory and He was given a name above all other names. He had victory over all His enemies. In worship, we are often encouraged to lift up our hands as an act of surrender. One time, as I was praying, I saw this motion picture of a 100-meter race in my mind and I saw the winner running and crossing the finishing line and then he triumphantly shot his hands up into the air and then these words came into my mind. In surrender is your victory. In my own experience, sometimes when I pursue a certain goal, I get to a cross junction where I somehow sense that the way that I'm going to continue to go doesn't seem to be what God wants me to do. And I begin to struggle because I've thought through the decision so thoroughly. I've consulted with people. I've even prayed sincerely. I've invested so much that to change course would just cost me too much. Someone said to me when I was a very young believer, the cross is when God's will and your will cross. And in that cross junction, in those cross junctions of my life, I've learned that God wants me to surrender, to surrender my smart, to surrender my self-centeredness, and to surrender my striving. I've learned this one precious lesson. Striving causes me to cease praying, and praying causes me to cease striving in my own strength, especially the prayer of surrender. My wife and I, with our little oldest boy at the time, came to Perth in 1999. We really enjoyed our stay here. I, I always felt that my work and my ministry was in Singapore, So after about two years, I decided to return to Singapore, but my wife really loved it here. And she wanted to stay. And when we went back, she wanted to come back. But, you know, I just wanted to stay where I am, my home country in Singapore. So she had to strive with me. And not only that, she had to strive to find a pathway to come. And she did that For 10 whole years, nothing happened. Then one day, she surrendered. She said, God, I surrender to your will. I still want to come, but I surrender control. I surrender to how you're going to do that. And even if it doesn't happen, I still trust that you will give me what's good for me. And when she did that, suddenly something happened in my life and there was a major shift in my heart. And then suddenly, a pathway appeared. She stopped striving with me. She stopped striving to find a way to come. But within one year, we found ourselves in Perth. Andrew Murray once said, God will assume full responsibility for the life fully surrendered to Him. Some of you listening now may be asking God for something or pursuing certain goals. And you have come to a place where there seems to be like a cross junction and God is saying to you, you've got to give up control. God is not saying to you, what you want is wrong or where you want to go is incorrect. God is just saying to you, you need to give up control. If that's where you are this morning, Can I just ask you to just say a prayer to God? God, I surrender to you. If I'm not willing, make me willing so that not my will but yours be done. This leads me to the final point. When you pray, keep trusting wholeheartedly because your heavenly Father will work all things together for good to do for you beyond what you can ask or imagine. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 and 20 we read for this reason I bow my knees to the father to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think there are three bible stories that have encouraged me to trust god wholeheartedly and i hope that it will encourage you also the first is in the life of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10, he wrote this, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he told me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, There are many guesses, but no one can specify to us what this thorn was. But we do know two things. Number one, it is painful. Paul said it tormented him. And number two, it stayed with him. Paul prayed earnestly to God that God will heal him or remove that pain. But Paul got neither. Instead, what he got was a revelation of the all-sufficiency of the grace of God and the power of resurrection that works so mightily in Him. I think because of that, He had a ministry greater than He could ever imagine. I'm not saying that God is the giver or orchestrator of pain. What I'm saying is that even when those pain, those challenging circumstances mysteriously linger in our life, we can trust God because when we go to Him, pray, and trust Him wholeheartedly, we will see His grace working in and through our lives. Philip Yancy said prayer is not a means of removing the unknown and unpredictable elements in life, but rather a way of including the unknown and unpredictable in the outworking of the grace of God in our lives. By His grace and His power, we will always emerge stronger than ever before. The second story is the resurrection of Lazarus. In John chapter 11, verse 5 to 6, we read, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where He was, Two more days. You know what? We all love doctors who can respond immediately, right? A few Sundays ago, uh, I was playing badminton and I injured my back. You know, I was going all out. I needed exercise, so I was running all over. You know, uh, had a lot of style, but not a lot of substance. But I was trying my best and trying to put a real shift in. And then I twisted my back. never happened to me before. it it was really painful. Uh, You know, when I go into my car in the passenger seat, I had to lift up my leg into the car. And I couldn't sit or stand up, changing the position without pain. I couldn't lie down on my bed naturally without pain. It was just so painful. And I needed a doctor, a Cairo, a physio, someone who could help me immediately. Next day. Uh, but next day, Monday, was a public holiday, as Murphy's law has it, right? There was no doctor, no physio, no Cairo. We wanted to call some uh, maybe church friends to help, but we say, this is a holiday, don't do that. And then my wife called a Cairo, and he was able to see me on a holiday. I knew my wife's prayer was powerful, so we went to see the Cairo. Uh, he did some cracking thing on me, and I really got better. Oh, we felt that he was the best Cairo in the whole wide world—one who would see me on a holiday. And then we just went to him. I went back to him a few more times, even though I think he's just a little bit more expensive. But we all love a doctor. Someone who can respond to our pain, to our need immediately. Even if you are sick at night, you can dial a doctor. And Martha and Mary was in a much dire situation. Their brother, Lazarus, was so sick, he was going to die. So they sent word to Jesus. They sent word to Dr. Jesus. Dr. Jesus, please come and help us. And you know what Dr. Jesus did? He didn't. He stayed where he was two more days. I mean, he wasn't like busy attending to someone or some matter. He just did nothing and stayed for two more days. I mean, what kind of a doctor is he, right? And then when he went to the tomb, it was already on the fourth day. All hope is gone. There was no turning back. And when Jesus arrived, Martha and Mary went to him, pouring out their agony to Christ. Because obviously Jesus could have come earlier. All Martha and Mary wanted was healing. But you know what? Jesus gave them something more. Jesus gave them a resurrection. You know, whatever we ask of God, God wants to do something more for us so we can trust Him wholeheartedly, whether there are detours in our life, delays, defeats, disappointments, you know what? When we trust God wholeheartedly, He will do for us much more than we can ever dream of. I mean, you can imagine for Martha and Mary, their faith was at a whole new level. Their walk with God, their understanding of God was never the same again. The last story I want to talk to you about is Joseph. Can I ask the musicians to come to the stage? He was imprisoned unjustly. But in prison, Joseph interpreted the Pharaoh's chief cupbearer's dream, that he would be released from prison and be restored back into his position. So Joseph said in Genesis chapter 40, we read, But when all goes well with you, that's Joseph talking to the cupbearer. Remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Years of pain dealing with rejection Betrayal Injustice Being thrown into a dungeon He has done nothing wrong To deserve that The cupbearer Was his only hope To get out of prison But the unthinkable happened The chief cupbearer We read in verse 23 However Did not remember Joseph He forgot him In this story Joseph didn't wait For just two more days It wasn't two more weeks It was two long years You know the Bible actually Never really specifically tells us how, How Joseph reacted Maybe it's leaving it to us To imagine how we would feel I don't know how you would respond I would only respond by asking one question. Why? Why? In Genesis 41, we found the answer why. Two years later, Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. And the cupbearer, I mean as as miraculously as he forgot about Joseph, he remembered him. In Genesis 41, we read after two whole years, Now, Joseph then was called to Pharaoh's court. He interpreted Pharaoh's dream, solved the problem presented in that dream. And Pharaoh was so impacted and impressed. And he said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Joseph only wanted to leave the prison, but God lifted him up, elevated him to be the prime minister. Just think about it. If the cupbearer had remembered Joseph two years earlier, there's still no guarantee if Joseph would be released from prison, right? Now, even if he was released, no one knows what will happen to him just being a slave in Egypt. He might experience the same injustice all over again and remain a slave all the days of his life. But two years later, at the right moment, God took Joseph out of prison and made him the most powerful executive in the most powerful empire of his time. You see, the power of prayer is not in God answering you exactly with what you want or when you want. The power of prayer is in God doing for you far more greater than what you can ask for. In prayer, we do not trap God into our little request box. We let God be the infinite, immeasurable, loving Father with whom nothing is impossible to do for us, above, beyond, and far greater than what we can ever ask, think, or imagine. As I conclude my message today, let's recap the three things we do to tap in to the power of prayer. Number one, we ask boldly because we have a good, loving, heavenly Father who loves us. And number two, we surrender completely because God wants to give us the ultimate victory. And number three, we keep trusting wholeheartedly because God will work all things out for good to do for us more than what we can ask for. As I close in prayer, I feel God wants to speak to three groups of people and I want to pray for you. The first is those who are praying for something or grappling with a challenging situation. And in this message, you felt the prompting of God. You felt the Spirit of God challenging you and encouraging you to surrender control. And if this is what you are feeling in your heart, I just want you to say this prayer after me, that God, not my will, but yours be done. On the count of three, say it together with me. Are you ready? One, two, three. God, not my will, but yours be done. The second group of people I want to talk to are those who are far away from Him or those who do not know God. This morning, you felt drawn to the love of God you want to give your heart to God all I want you to do is from where you are just repeat this prayer after me are you ready? just simply repeat this simple prayer after me say Lord Jesus come to be my Lord and Saviour forgive my sins and I commit my life into your loving hands Amen.